Okay, here's time for a little confession. I think jelly beans are just gross. Do you like them? If you do, that's fantastic. I think they're disgusting. They're gooey, they get stuck in your teeth, but they do make you spit in different colors, which is kind of an added bonus. But that brings me to the topic of this podcast, because we're talking about jelly beans. You know, this morning I was in the high-risk clinic, and one of our upper-level residents had a great, great point and a great question. See, her point was, look, the one-hour glucola is just kind of gross, and it tastes bad, and it makes you want to puke. I get that. But her question that followed was even better. So she said, look, Dr. Chaba, there's a patient who needs this glucola, but the patient actually asked to take the jelly bean challenge instead because she just thought it tasted better and didn't want to do the sugar drink. Well, is that valid? Well, now this patient had looked up information online and found the jelly bean alternative to the one hour glucola. So obviously it must be real because it's online, right? So in this podcast, I thought, you know, we should cover that. Where did this jelly bean issue as a diabetic screen in pregnancy even come from? Is that evidence-based? And what do medical experts in the field actually say about it? Well, if you're ready, grab your jelly beans and let's get to jelly beans for diabetic screening in pregnancy. Hi, this is Tiffany Wilson, nurse practitioner with Student Health Services, Texas A&M University, and this is Clinical Pearls. Well, just as point of transparency, I'm taping this session in the middle of my office setting in the middle of clinic because, well, what a great time to do a podcast, right? No, 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 don't worry. I'm not getting behind because my patients actually haven't started yet, but I'm starting clinic, my session, in about 15 minutes. So we'll see how far this can go. Gestational diabetes is the most common problem in pregnancy, and it's true. Look, the 50-gram glucola for a lot of patients is just kind of terrible. I mean, it's hard to drink, and I've heard it all before. It tastes gross. I want to throw up. It makes me nauseated. I get it. But you know what? What's kind of weird is that I actually remember late nights on call when I was at Parkland Hospital. I mean, I remember many nights that we would raid the lab refrigerator and take the 50-gram glucolas for like a little bit of a sugar rush. I mean, basically, it was like a Dallas County uh, hospital version of a sports drink. So I probably owe like Dallas County about 100 bucks or something in taking glucolas. Uh, I apologize for that. Nonetheless, I do realize that it can make some people very upset in their stomach. It can make them kind of nauseous because it is a big, well, obviously a big glucose challenge. But gestational diabetes has to be checked because it remains a significant health problem in the U.S. Now, remember that it's recommended that all pregnant women be screened with an oral glucose tolerance test between 24 and 28 weeks. Remember, that's all women, not risk-based like I trained, but universal testing. ACOG does favor the two-step approach to universal screening for GDM. Now, screening for GDM is fairly straightforward and is performed again between 24 and 28 weeks, although some patients with high risk factors can qualify for early screening and then repeat testing at the normal time if that early screen is normal. For screening, the non-fasting pregnant patient drinks 150 milliliters, that's about 5 ounces, of a solution that contains 50 grams of glucose. And then one hour later, the blood sample is collected and the blood glucose is measured. If the result is greater than or equal to 140 using the National Diabetic Data Group data or 130 using carbondracalcin, then a screening test gets converted into a diagnostic test and the patient comes back for that diagnostic testing. Remember, that's using the 100-gram oral glucose tolerance test. 
Now, the reality is, and though we made light of it at the beginning, the truth is this drink really is a problem for a lot of patients. A lot of women complain about the thickness and the unpalatable taste of the 50-gram glucose beverage. Others complain of nausea, vomiting, this weird bloating feeling, and sometimes even colicky GI pain. One source stated that noncompliance with finishing the 50-gram beverage is actually pretty high, and 10 to 15% of patients can experience vomiting in the middle of the test. Some women claim to be allergic to the flavoring or coloring agents in the drink and that that's what's making them sick, when the truth is it's probably just a quick sugar load happening at one time. So it's not surprising that nurses, physicians, and even some dietitians have weighed in on alternatives that would be more tolerable and presumably contain the same amount of glucose. If you Google glucola or gestational diabetes alternatives, you'll find multiple websites like our patient did that cite jelly beans as an alternative for gestational diabetic testing. Everyone is interested in food-based or candy-based tests, but as it turns out, not all candies are created equal. There are different kinds of sugars, and they don't all have the same effect on blood sugar levels. Now, that's well documented because that was first reported by Wong and Jenkins back in 2007. Unlike store-bought or commercial-bought candies, glucola is actually a medical drink. It's a medical test used for screening or diagnosis for GDM, and the level is standard, so whenever you get the drink glucola, you know you're getting 50 grams of dextrose. All right, so let's be very clear here, because there are some real methodological concerns here, right? I mean, which brand of jelly beans should be used for this test? Because you've got to be standardized. And how many beans should be taken? What are the specific kinds of sugars in the jelly beans? And are the sugars as bioavailable as the glucose solution? And will they even be absorbed through the same kinetics? So these are real questions that you should be concerned about if you're going to substitute jelly beans for a true medical screening liquid like the glucola. Well, you should be thinking, just where did this whole idea of jelly beans even come from anyway? Well, the truth is, there are some studies in the 90s that have kind of lingered both in pop culture and online, but it can be first traced back to 1995. All right, here we go. Boyd and colleagues published in 1995 the results of a small study in which ingestion of 18, that's 1-8, 18 Brock's brand jelly beans were compared with the standard 50-gram oral glucose solution. Boyd took 157 women who had no history of diabetes of any kind and administered the standard 50-gram liquid challenge, followed by the one-hour venous plasma glucose check. Within two weeks of the 50-gram liquid challenge, they also consumed 18 Brock jelly beans within two minutes. I mean, think about that. That's a lot of jelly beans in two minutes. And at the same time, again, another hour glucose level was drawn. Now, the jelly bean dose was calculated to try to provide the the closest proximity to 50 grams of carbohydrate. Well, according to this study, using this standard, the glucola liquid 50-gram dose was 46% sensitive and 81% specific at detecting gestational diabetes. The jelly bean test was 31% sensitive, but it was 96% specific. So even though there was lower sensitivity, the higher specificity was considered a win by these authors. Four years later, in 1999, Lamar et al. conducted another jelly bean study. But in this study, 136 women compared screening for GDM with a glucose drink compared to the jelly beans 
and these women used 28 instead of 18 to give a better approximation of the 50 grams of glucose. Well, once again, screening with a glucose drink identified four out of five of the women with GDM compared to only two of those who were identified with jelly beans. In other words, screening with the glucose drink identified 80%, but using jelly beans identified only 40%. And that's really all we have. We have that original 1995 paper and then the one from 1999. So where are we at? And what's the final conclusions here as we wrap this up? Well, tests that screen for a disorder like GDM should be able to detect a high percentage of women with the disease. The use of jelly beans has failed to detect more than half of the women with GDM. So leading authorities and medical experts in gestational diabetes all conclude that when it comes to jelly beans and medical tests, really leave the jelly beans for those special occasions, but keep them out of clinical use. podcast done and my first patient is just getting her triage vital signs see we can multitask and be successful sometimes so thanks for listening to this podcast and as always thanks for being part of our podcast family we'll see you next time on clinical pearls